This is the JN Band Show, a podcast series on personal finance and investing. Hello everyone, this is the Che and Ben show. This is episode number seven. My name is Che. And I am Ben. And today we will be talking about ETFs, exchange traded funds and index funds and go a little bit more into detail about um, what what they actually are, what they do, what the other benefits, disadvantages. Um, we have early on in our episodes, we touched upon um, the ETFs and I think by now you guys roughly know what they do and what uh, the functions are. But I think um, it would be quite useful here to kind of go a bit more into detail. Um, let's start with a little bit of history. Um, we don't want to bore you guys too much with history because uh, we are not really, um, you know, historians or anything. And this is not really the podcast is not really about that. But I think there are um, kind of two main dates that we really have to know about um, when we talk about ETFs, as well as um, the name John Bogle, that would be really, really important. So um, actually, ETFs are something relatively newish or relatively more recent. Um, it's it's something um, I would say definitely more in the modern age of investing. And we have here um, in 1975, I would say this was kind of the first date you guys have to remember with John Bogle, who then started also Vanguard and um, has created a uh, fund who was basically tracking the S&P 500. And um, that was really the first um, kind of form of ETF that, that we kind of know um, from John Bogle. And he's really famous for um, Vanguard, of course, the company. Um, you probably have seen there are loads of loads of ETFs out there with Vanguard, who were kind of the first ones who brought these um, funds out to make them available very, very cheap, um, focusing mainly on the um, investor. And from there on, moving on, um, the, the second very important date I think you have to know is about um, in 1993. And, and this was really from the street global investment. That was the first time those guys um, brought out what uh, we would understand today as a modern ETF that was tracking the S&P 500. Um, very, very famous and known as the Spider ETF. Um, so when you guys hear about the Spider ETF that still exists, is still around, it's one of the most known and um, famous um, ETFs that started off with 1993. And I mean, Ben... You were just we were just talking about this um, starting off from 1993. It it really jumped. Yeah, it's really quite amazing how many ETFs there was and how quickly the market has grown. So, like we said, the Spider ETF was founded in 1993, and by 2002, it grew to 102 different funds available on the market. By the end of 2009, there was over a thousand. And by in last May of 2020, there was an estimated over 7,100 ETFs on the market. If this doesn't show how large the whole ETF scene has blown up in the last, well, 10 years or so, then that really puts into perspective. Yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, we wanted to show you guys. This is a, a a boom really that really happened just in the recent um, decade. Really, if you, if you look back. Um, this kind of explosion of loads of loads of different ETFs. And um, you have to also imagine, you know, back in the day when um, 
they, you know, even, I mean, the Spider one, the Spider S&P 500 was really the first one that also attracted a lot of um, investors and was a really popular thing. But, you know, back then, in 1970s, 1975, that wasn't so much of a of a of a, a popular um, idea here. I mean, it was very revolutionary if we look back now, and and you know everyone is saying John Bogle being like this amazing genius guy, and and I mean even Warren Buffett really loved loved this this idea. Um, but back in the days, it was a very new thing, and. Um, yeah, Ben, you're completely correct. It kind of like really exploded and um, the numbers are just crazy. And um, so please, with, the, with those ETFs, keep in mind, this is a very new way of investing. It's, it's relatively new. Um, I mean, moving on now from, um, from, from the history part a little bit, um, now that we had the Spider uh, ETF who was, was tracking the S&P 500, um, ben, would you kind of like outline a little bit uh, what is kind of the landscape on, on ETFs? So you can get many different types of ETFs. And like we just touched on, the Spider one can track the S&P 500, which is comprised of 500 different companies in the US. So these go from all the different sectors, such as materials, energy, uh, consumer discretionary. But you also have ones for other countries. So for the UK, we have the FTSE 100 and FTSE 250. You may find it for, if you're German, that you have the DAX. So you can have loads of different ones, which is geographically tracks the market. But then you can also have some other ones. Uh, what you can have is ones which track different sectors. So a very common and one that's been traded and talked about a lot lately is the iShares Clean Global Energy. This one's very popular just because of the way the world is trying to turn at the moment. And this specifically tracks all the clean energy stocks on the market. You would normally find that because it's such a niche that it doesn't have as many investments and it's not as diverse as, say, the normal S&P 500 index tracker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, just as a as a fun here, guys. This is not financial advice or anything. Um, just as a fun here, there is also um, I don't know if it still exists, but I, I'm sure it definitely existed. Uh, an ETF called Vice, um, and Vice was kind of like almost the opposite of the high shares clean energy. Vice was mainly um, an ETF that was investing in companies that uh, how can I say tobacco gambling, um, you know, like all the very dark things or like the, the things that are more or less the opposite of the clean energy. So it's so really there are no limits, I would even say. Yeah. And there's also uh, world ETFs. And what these do is try and track everything. So if you look at VWRL, I think last time I checked, the US comprised of over 60% of that one fund. And the next was the Japanese index, which was 7.4%. Why, uh, Ben? Why is that so? Why, if if I'm if I want to buy an ETF that is global, why, why is it like you said sixty percent? That's that's quite extreme. That to have a, to have a weight on the US at sixty percent, even though it's global. Yes, it's because of the weighting of the US market compared to the other markets. So what we see is the majority of trading comes from the actual US. So when you put that against the UK or Japan, it is very small compared to it. 
Okay, no, I, I understand, I understand. I um, hope, guys, you also understand that the, the, the U.S. market is just really, really big in comparison to all the other markets in terms of market cap. And so when you buy a global um, ETF, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to avoid uh, the, the, the U.S. market here unless it's kind of a global excluding the U.S. Uh, that's also possible um, to find ETFs such as that. I think when it comes to ETF investing, what you've also got to look out for is what's actually held in the fund. And what you can do is if you invest across over many different ETFs, you might, may find that there's a crossover of investments so that if you have an all world fund and then you have an S&P 500, you're buying it twice. So you're doubling up on the US market and almost going overweight. Yeah, that's a very that's something I really didn't know. Almost like what, like five, three, four, five years ago. Um, completely correct. Um, you guys have to check out the underlining stocks um, in an ETF, and that's something I really advise you to do. Um, it's it's very easy to do actually. If you go on to Yahoo Finance and you type in the ticker symbol of your of your ETF uh, that you want to look at. And, um, you know, you go on under portfolio details, is it usually under? Um, it might have a similar name and on other platforms. And um, you would then usually see some information about the geographic um, allocation of, of the different um, investments. But then if you scroll down a little bit, you see something called like the top 10 holdings. And um, that's usually a really good way for you to um, compare and understand what's actually in your funds because, as Ben said, you might have the S&P 500 and I believe the top holdings are like, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook. So these are kind of the top uh, five, at least I would say. And then if you go and opt in for like a global ETF, you might also find or very likely find Apple and Microsoft also represented in the top 10. So, yeah, definitely, Ben, I agree with you here. Yeah, just looking at VWRL, which is a all-world fund for the UK, um, Apple is 3.61% of the whole fund. The top 10 holdings represent 15.32% of total assets. And most of these are US stocks, so it really gives an idea of how large the US market is. Ben, you, you also mentioned um, around, um, so the, the clean energy one you were just mentioning, that's from iShares, and iShares yes. is basically owned by BlackRock, which is um, yep. uh, a big company. And then at the beginning, I mentioned to you guys, um, there is Vanguard. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would definitely say, let, let's take those two as an example. Um, if I have the, the a Vanguard fund, a Vanguard ETF that tracks the S&P 500, and I also have Buy BlackRock and iShares ETF that tracks the S&P 500, what's the difference between those two? Like, wh why are these two out even, and why would I buy one over the other? Maybe, Ben, could you... I mean, I know why, but um, <laughs> for you guys it might be important to know. When it comes to different brokers almost, it's like they're offering different products, so... There's m many differences you'll find. It's possibly the way they track these because they're actually trying to track an index. They're not the index. So you'll find that some different ETFs actually have a closer correlation to the stock market itself. Yeah, yeah. And then also you have to look out for the fees. What you'll find is different funds have different fees. So with VWRL, for an example, just from what I know off the top of my head, it charges 0.22% annually. 
where I think something like HSBC All World Index charges slightly cheaper. But it comes down to Vanguard is also a much more known platform and it's highly regarded. So maybe you're paying a little bit more just for the name. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are usually, um, again, if you go on Yahoo Finance, you see that um, as expense ratio um, listed down. So, um, yeah, you would definitely have um, usually the big ones, you know, would charge you for an S&P 500, something like 0.07%, I believe, or something like that, even lower. You can find it even lower in the U.S. Um, and, um, you know, you have to be a little bit smart um, and shop around because you find the same, no, the same, the, the same index or the, the the product tracks the same thing, uh, but charges you 0.02 or 0.01 less in terms of the expense ratio. And it might not sound quite a lot, but it can make a difference the, the more money you have, you know. And uh, um, so definitely have a look around that. But as Ben said, um, it's also important to kind of weigh in the how reputable that. Um, provider is you know so uh, when i agree like vanguard or blackrock you know they you know it's it's they are huge funds with lots of lots of uh, money in there and um you know it's very unlikely that something bad happens here i mean this is not financial advice but um you know it's very unlikely they're highly controlled um and uh, it would be uh, you know maybe worth them to pay a little bit more here but usually the way i see this is that the, these big ones usually they have the lowest um fees and um, expense ratios yeah and to give some kind of an idea of how large these funds really are the spider s&p 500 in february 2021 it had 328 billion dollars in assets under management and really i can't fathom that amount of money <laughs> personally yeah, that's a, that's a, that's that's quite a bit. Um, that's also interesting if you look at um, uh, where is it here? Um, so that's a very interesting um, article actually, where um, it's it's on Bloomberg. Um, it's a bit older, but it basically says also some of those um, uh, really uh, large large funds. Then you know, with with all the money influx they have, they might also see some of the the the, the problems in terms of growth. So. I'm not talking specifically about the S&P 500, but um, let's give an example. For instance, if we take up ARK Invest, that's a very good example, the ETF around ARK Invest. It's um, more and more money poured in over the last uh, months even, or the, you know, the last year, and um, it has been a very interesting journey they have been taking. But they, they grow so big that they basically can't really invest anymore in like really small cap companies because they would take such a huge position in those companies. Um, and uh, the best growth or the highest growth, of course, comes from quite small companies who have a lot of potential. But, uh, you know, if you have really large, um, 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 if you have a really large fund, you kind of have to target almost really big one, big companies. And there is often a question of how much can you grow on here. So, um, why, why I'm telling you guys this is it's quite important to know how big a fund is or how big an ETF is because that also gives you an estimate um, on the potential of growth. So, you know, an S&P 500, for instance, um, as Ben mentioned just earlier, or like a, a global fund um, like the, the Vanguard um, by Vanguard, um, it's, it's quite um, difficult here to actually achieve outrageous returns here because... Um, 
just because of the market cap and it's really difficult. I hope this is, uh, I made this clear. Yeah, another thing I want to point out quickly, you mentioned ARK and ARK is a actively managed fund. So compared to like an S&P 500 tracker, it's all done based off of market cap. Where with ARK, you've got Kathy Woods, who is picking the individual stocks. Now, is it really her? I'm, I, I also think she has a lot of research <laughs> in, in the background. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But an added risk element of actively managed ETFs is that you've got to keep an, an eye on what they're investing into. And there's been things where with actively managed funds, because of their size, they invest into illiquid companies, which is a risk on the funds that if people take money out, it's just yeah, an added bit of risk you've got to look into and know what you're investing into. Ben, what do you mean by illiquid companies? I mean, I know what, what these mean, but um, can you explain to the listeners a little bit what could be a danger with those I- illiquid uh, companies? Um, um, oh, uh, I'm happy to do it myself, but uh, if you want to outline that. So when we're talking about illiquid companies, uh, in the UK we have OTC, which is called over-the-counter trading. And these are normally companies with a very small market cap. Uh, these are the companies that you can find the most growth in. So when people like Kathy Woods is looking at companies, this is where she can make the most bang for a buck. And she's done very well at picking these companies. When we're talking about Illiquid and OTC, it means they haven't got a huge amount of volume of people buying and selling the stock. So sometimes it can be hard to sell the shares of which you hold. Yeah, exactly. And um, guys, guess when this could be a very important thing? Guess when is, of course, on a market downtime and and, uh, during a crisis where everyone or a a big portion of people want to pull out their money from a fund or from an ETF. And uh, and if the underlying assets are illiquid, that's exactly a big problem because um, they can't, you know, sell those underlying assets fast enough uh, and liquidate that uh, to give you the money and and sometimes it might happen. I think we have seen it in the UK um, uh, Ben remind me on the fund. Yeah exactly exactly where where, um, you know, there was a stop. There was a stop in in terms of the sell, and they said to the people, "No, you can't take your money out, unfortunately, because mm. um, I need a little bit more time to sell my underlying uh, assets." And that was a very dangerous thing. Uh, I think a lot of people were upset in the UK. I mean, uh, Ben, you you yeah. know that better than me. <laughs> my dad was in that exact position. He had a bit of money. Luckily, not a lot invested in Neil Woodford's fund, and they actually stopped people trading it because so many people were having a run on the fund. And this is the other problem is that when people are, it's almost like the run on the banks. If everyone's taking their money out, can you sell your assets fast enough to cover the withdrawals? And it got to the point with Neil Woodford that they had to close it down completely, stop people taking out the money so they could actually sell the assets at a more favorable price than panic selling. Yeah, that's exactly fine. So so guys, um, this is not financial advice. But um, what would be a very smart thing to do when you invest in certain ETFs and funds, um, it's always smart to check out the size of the fund and to understand the implications these might have um, on your investment. You know, if um, a, a large fund with loads of money in it and um, where the underlining stocks are, or assets are kind of very liquid, 
you know, the benefit, of course, here are it's very easy to sell them. It's, it's, you can easily get your money or easier. Um, whereas, like, if you invest in kind of a niche uh, ETF that has a high expense ratio because it's so specialized, in a, in a, in a, and maybe even actively managed where you pay one or two percent in fees. And at the same time, um, you know, if they would, if they invest in very illiquid um, asset classes, um, that uh, might, you know, turn out to be very difficult um, when you want to pull out your money. On the other side, there you have the highest growth potential there. Mm. I mean, that's that's the thing. So I hope you guys understand that kind of correlation and that play um, when you invest in these kind of ETFs and indexes what the implications are for you. I think the other thing to remember when investing into ETFs is especially an index tracker like the S&P or the FTSE is that you can never beat the market. And it's yeah, the one point. major limitation, in my opinion, is that, yes, you can perform as the market, but you can never beat it. But on the flip side of that is majority of people don't is the long term historically long term that 80% of people don't even beat the market so I think yeah. that's one of the arguments people use is that if I can't beat it I might as well join it that's that's completely correct I think um, Warren Buffett said it many many times in his interviews he said you know for the average person put your money in an S&P 500 and, and let it be that's it you know it's it's um, you you will come out at the end um, uh, wealthier than you are now um, but of course, it's 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 that kind of. Um, I think so. For me, I I personally do a mix of things. So you know, I'm fifty percent of my portfolio. I'm very much happy to get the average, uh, which is like get the market. You know, seven nine percent or something like that. But then on the other fifty percent, I try to beat the market by investing in particular specific companies where I think you know these will outperform the market. So and and you can really for yourself. This is not financial advice. <laughs> for yourself, you can adjust that ratio. You know, you might say I have eighty percent uh, invested in in an, in the average market in some index trackers, and then twenty percent I take a bit more risk by picking individual companies. And you know, th this is also a way of of tu fine tuning your investment portfolio a little bit. Yeah, I call that technique these core and satellite. So the core yeah. of your portfolio is the ETFs and the satellites, the little bits going around could be the individual stocks you pick. Maybe they be value stocks or ones you actually really like, because I quite enjoy just picking stocks that personally I enjoy using the products. Yeah, and that's, um, I mean, look, the, the whole reason why we do this podcast is not because we are we have nothing else to do. It's like we actually, mm -hmm. it's it's a hobby of us to, you know, investing and, 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 and all that. So if you do enjoy, you know, reading financial statements, listening to to quarterly calls and, and, and all that stuff and do your research, by all means, please, you know, um, join join this journey. And, and it's, it's a very interesting thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you if you're very busy, if you don't have time for this, if you're not interested that much in this, um, I don't know why you would then listen to this podcast. But that's a whole different <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, yet, you know, um, having an having an ETF that does that kind of passively um, passive in the ETF that does the thing for you is is, is more than enough. Um, another thing I would like to point out as a negative, and um, never came to me really, um, but. 
you know, if you put your money in an index, let's say we take the S&P 500 as an, as an example, but you can put any, like, you know, the FTSE 100 or the FTSE 250, which, which uh, 250, which includes, um, you know, more companies, or even the, the, the Russell um, 2000 that has more uh, small and mid-cap um, companies included. Um, you put money into this index and um, the underlining um, stocks in the S&P 500 are 500 companies. What if one or two of those companies do something that I don't like personally? I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you're not, uh, you don't feel comfortable putting money in the tobacco and alcohol industry. I mean, I made a joke before with the Vice ETF that only invests in such companies, but you know, um, we live in a free world. You can do whatever you want. So please don't see this as any judgment or anything. Um, but let's say um, you don't feel comfortable putting your money in um, tobacco, in armory, in you know, in, in things that you might feel uncomfortable. Well, it's it's very difficult because um, if you put your money into the S and P five hundred, it's I, I mean Ben, please correct me. It's almost impossible, or the FTSE one hundred. It's almost impossible to have a complete clean uh, vest uh, I, I hope i hope you understand what i mean with that yeah you are completely right because it's the index of the whole market you've got a bit of every single sector so you will have stuff where it's got arms dealing so yes yeah it's you not let's not mention any it. companies that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was also thinking of you but uh, i mean commenting on esg like yeah. social investing is that you yeah. want to actually exactly this make is what a I want good to do. impact and then you invest into the companies which help humanity not hinder to say but as I, but as I said earlier uh, we no judgment here um, no if you if you feel comfortable putting your money in in some tobacco companies I think they're playing they're paying a great dividend I think that's also the other side because yeah. they want to attract more investors so I think their dividend is relatively high and um, if you think smoking is the future, by no means, you know, we are always happy to be educated by others. And, and you know, it's, it's I mean, look, I, I own uh, FTSE 100 and S&P 500 indexes. Like, don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm completely aware that there might be a few companies in there. I, I totally disagree with what they do. Um, but at the same time, you know, you buy in the market. That's the whole point of it. And um, so, so please, if this is something really important to you, um, where you have strong views on certain topics, um, do a little bit digging. You will find ETFs and indexes that um, track um, an investment philosophy that you might really like and, and that might be more in line with your values. And um, it might be also worth to uh, then invest, you know, um, to, to pay a, a higher fee for that because it's much more specialized. Um, and okay, another, um, I think this is the last thing really because um, there's so much to talk about. I think, Ben, we are running out of time. But um, I also want to point out a little bit uh, what um, I've read recently, read recently about Michael Burry and him saying that we are in an ETF bubble. I think that's very important. So for those who don't know um, who Michael Burry is, um, Michael Burry is the one um, who predicted the uh, 2008 um, housing well, financial crisis, the housing crisis, housing crash. Um, he was depicted also in the film, uh, well, well, Ben, remind me, what's the film called? Um, the Big the Short. Big Short. The Big Shot, exactly. Yes, very, very um, good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that so guys, please check that movie out. It's a really cool, uh, very interesting one. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the main character there um, is Michael Berry and... Um, 
he basically predicted the, the financial crisis. And um, since he, he has done that, basically um, people are listening to what he has to say because you know, it's so important. And one of the most um, like interesting things he has, sa- he has said recently is that we are in an ETF bubble. And, and what that means is basically um, people or the average investor are pouring in the money into those indexes without actually doing their research, without actually thinking about it. And what happens is a lot of companies that are part of that index that might be not as successful are actually getting money, are getting like money from investors. And in this way, they have been like pushed up a little bit. And um, so it's, it's, it's basically the danger of money has been poured into companies in the underlying stocks that are actually not as efficient as they should be or that, uh, you know, that are... are um, uh, are kind of like pushed by the by the ETF itself. I Ben, please. Uh, I hope I explained this correctly, roughly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think the other thing what you've got to be careful of is Michael Burry has been right about the, one of the biggest crashes that we've seen in recent history. But what you want to be careful of is who you listen to. If you look at CNBC and all of that, you will just hear people shouting all the time. It's going to be a market crash. And you'll always hear there will be there will be always someone saying something bad's going to happen. And it's down <laughs> yeah. to you to actually look into it and go, "What is this person talking about? Are they talking absolute rubbish, or is there actually something there to look at?" What's the What's the analogy? I think there is an analogy that if you have to guess the time, you are right twice a day. Oh, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> a broken clock is right twice. Exactly. A day. This is yeah. how this is how it is. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so guys, you know, um, yeah, that's correct. You have people who would uh, talk about doomsday uh, scenarios all the time, and uh, you, you know what? At some point, they are right, not because they are right. You know, at some point they are right because there will be a crash at some point. It's a natural thing to happen. It's a normal thing to happen, and um, it's 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 kind of silly. Um, you know, the twenty times they say be careful, and and um, it's it's interesting. But um, I just wanted to mention that with uh, Michael Berry, really, because um, for those investors out there who you know we talk about these ETFs, and you can clearly see we kind of are fans of ETFs and, and index funds. We think is a great way to start your investing and also build up your. Uh, fundamentals. And I just wanted to make sure when you read other things, um, such as the one from Michael Berry, that you are aware what it is, what it means, and so you can make your decision yourself, really. Um, Okay, great. So um, looking at the clock, I think uh, we should bring this to an end. Um, Ben, is there anything we missed or we should, I mean, again, there's so much more to talk about, but uh, we have to kind of uh, end this at some point. Yeah, I think think we covered even most of the basis, but if you want to get in touch and talk about something other that we can talk about on here, then please do get on to Instagram and message us. Yeah, guys. So please, um, that, that will be really great. Um, go on to Instagram, uh, the Che and Ben show. Um, text us there, write us in DM, um, anything. Also critique, you know, if, if there's something you feel like is missing. And uh, so, we, you know, we really want to improve this and make this, uh, make this something that works for, for you guys. So, um, okay, so without um, anything else, uh, let me see. No, that's it. Without further ado, guys, then thank you so much for listening. And uh, we really appreciate this. And um, we hope to see you in the next one. 